Welcome to Law in the Bush, a regional, rural, remote podcast by the University of New England's Law School. Welcome back to Law in the Bush. Today I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Charles Murray Mushu. Charles, a law lecturer at the University of New England's Law School. Hi, Charles. Welcome to the program. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me here. You are here to hear about my research interests and focus. Am I right? Absolutely. And it's a pleasure to have you. Now, you had a varied background that's brought you to being a law lecturer. Could you share with our listeners what your legal and academic journey has been to get to this point in your academic career? Okay. After my law degree, I practiced as a barrister and I specialized in civil litigation work. My work ranged from motor vehicle accident claims to landlord and tenant dispute to family law to bankruptcy to building contracts, pretty much all civil action and suits. I've worked in those areas. Then I took up a position as a lecturer in a public university in Malaysia, and I taught civil procedure, civil advocacy, and law of evidence. Subsequent to that, I started my PhD at Monash University in Australia, and my thesis explored the regulation of advertising of medicinal products. I also looked at interface between food and medicine, functional food, health claims on dietary supplements, and as well as on cosmetics. It's such a broad area that your legal experience is covered. What's the focus of your research now? Lisa, my research has since expanded. I now research under the broad umbrella of food law and policy with two distinct areas of expertise. First, I look at the regulation of alternative food, such as insects. And in this space, I work with a team of authors and we compare the regulation of alternative food, such as insects in different countries. And we examine how adequately the law governs food safety issues. Now, the second area is on the regulation of advertising of unhealthy food. Here again, I work with a team of authors and we compare and examine the regulation of unhealthy food advertised to consumers and children in different countries. I also explore the concept of unhealthy eating, healthy living, wellness and nutrition and the regulatory compliance of these on food and functional food. And another aspect that I'm also looking at is the concept of human rights perspective, the rights of people to healthy, nutritious food. Wow. There's a lot in that. And I guess one of the interesting things is that most of these things are not actually covered by laws there self-regulated, aren't they? Yes, they are. So in Australia, they are. And is that different to your overseas partners? Depending on which country, because I compare with the European Union, we also compare with Australia. So depending on which country we compare, some countries have got laws and some have got a more of a government regulations to control their food safety issues. It's a very important area 
especially because I think most people don't know that it's not strictly governed by laws across the board. It's industry self-regulation. So in light of that, can you describe the importance of your research and impact of it? Because I assume that you'd like to have an impact on government policies. My research, Lisa, is important for several reasons. See, my work examines the governance of food, the functional food, the concept of nutritious food, people's right to nutritious food, and the demand for healthy living, wellness, and nutrition. So if you look at child obesity, for example, it's a form of malnutrition, and obesity and related disease affect 40 million children under the age of five globally. And over Dude. 300, yeah, all, and over 300 million children are obese and overweight. So vitamins and mineral deficiencies, these things affect 340 million children globally. And these numbers are constantly growing. So when this is happening to children, one of the questions that we ask is this. Are we in violation of the right of a child? So, I mean, if you want to know more about this, because you have to read my paper, because this is something that I've been working on since beginning of this year with a number of authors from European Union and different countries. And we're looking at the right of a child for nutritious food in a global food system. So there's many angles, many aspects that we are looking at but this is one of the things that we are working on. And is this related to Australia being a signatory to rights of children? Yes. We're looking at it from children's right to so many things, but also their right to have just not food, but to have nutritious food. So we're looking at the advertising of unhealthy food to children as well. So... It's a big area and uh, I'm happy to give you a link once the paper is published for people to look at it. Well, people can contact me at the podcast to get a link or they can contact the law school to get a link to your staff profile page where they'll be able to see what you're doing. Yes. And yeah. when you have that link, we can put it up at the bottom of the podcast. And while we're on the topic of social media and podcasting, You've been doing something really exciting and sort of a bit cutting edge with your foray into social media to support your research. Can you tell us about that? I have been following a program on social media about the relationship between gut health and food. And this program has helped me personally in maintaining a healthy gut in a very sustainable way. Now, the concept that I wish to explore is not just the demand for nutritious food and healthy gut and healthy living and wellness, but it links back to our human right aspect to nutritious food and wellness. So this links back to my research area on compliance, rules, regulations, on health claims, on consumer choices and preferences for healthy living for functional food, for healthy gut and all of that. So it's all about food. It's all about nutritious food and it's all about the pathway to achieve that goal. But are we all complying with all the laws 
in all those aspects. So it's, it's kind of a broad area, but at the same time, I do have a part that goes to achieve the end result. Um, it's, it's really important what you're trying to achieve. But what it makes me wonder is that does it have a wider application than just say Australia? Yes, it does have a wider application because Lisa, I work on a global comparative aspect. So everything I work on is just not for, with regards to Australia, but I have a team of researchers who will come in and also work with me on these areas. So we explore what other countries are doing to address the concerns of food security, food accessibility, food quality, and the lack of nutritious food. So this is where we are all coming in together. But there's other aspects too that your research has an impact on, like access to basic needs. Yes. So food is like water is a basic need. And we don't just have a right to food. We have a right to nutritious food. So if you look at alternative food supplies, such as insects or meal replacement or various functional food, they represent an emerging nutritious food. They are not just important to consumers, but they are also relevant to farmers, food companies, food marketers, and more. Okay? So if you have an outdated food regulation on production or on marketing or use or trade, now all this will represent a problem. Or if you have a regulation that do not yet allow the use of all these potential alternative food sources, this will again present a problem. So there are many issues to be covered. There are many impacts to be looked at. There are several issues with food, as in food security, accessibility, food system, food advertising, and they all have a profound effect, not just consumers, but on farmers, on producers, on food companies, and also food regulators. And we bring all these together as legal academics, because we look at this from everyone's and we bring them together. And globally, each country has their own governance. They have their own substantive. They have their own procedural rules. So comparing how they are regulated in different countries, why they are regulated the way they are itself have an impact on policy. Itself has got a comparative element. Itself has got something that we can learn from other people or we can be the lead for others to learn from us as well. So there's many angles there. It'd be good if I can have a PhD student who wants to work on this area. That would be fantastic. Well, they can contact the law school if they're interested in exploring this area with you. You're listening to Law in the Bush, a law research series about regional rural remote law by the University of New England. One area that I'm particularly interested in, you talked about alternative food sources, and I know that alternative food sources are available in other countries, and there's a lot we can learn from that in moving forward because we are going to do that like in the supermarket plant-based meals that they say that they're meat-free, but they're sort of like meat. But yes. I, I've seen things like cricket pasta and I've read that they're very nutritious is that the sort of area that you see us moving into 
Yes, we had quite a few companies already producing and already selling proteins, which are made from the insects. So yes, we are, that industry is really growing really fast, not just around the world, but in Australia as well. In a recent paper, which was last year, I found there was already 50 companies in Australia who are in that particular insects as food business, insects as feed. So yes, it is a growing industry in Australia. Being in a rural university, well placed to see what's happening with producers of food, is that what attracted you to work in a regional university? I grew up in a regional town and I worked in small regional towns and I'm aware of the advantages of living in a small town, but I'm also aware of the challenges living in, in regional towns. Having a university in a regional town appealed to me because I could work in a regional town, but there are challenges and yet I still prefer to work in a regional area. Your research so perfectly aligns with Triple R law, that's regional, rural and remote law, as it affects Australians and Australians in general. And I guess it also relates to people globally living in Triple R areas. People living in these Triple R areas, now they encounter many of the same law and policy issues that challenge their urban counterparts. But people in triple R areas, they face an additional challenge. And this challenge comes from within the environment. To name a few, we have got water right issues. We have got farm succession planning issues, family violence, indigenous social justice issues. So we have a lot of issues. In a way, I see them as addition to what people in urban places have. Now, according to a triple R law and community national strategic plan report, there are approximately 7 million Australians that live in triple R area. And this report identified many issues and challenges faced by these triple R people. And there is a need to attend to these issues. Your research is so perfectly placed for that. What sort of current research projects are you working on now? My current ones, I work with a few legal academics from the Europe, from US and Canada. And we wrote on the regulation of insects as food and feed, and we continue to write in that space. More recently, we are writing on functional food, and we are also writing on rights of children to healthy food. Now, I'm also working with researchers from Malaysia and we are looking at the sustainable production of alternative food sources. So yes, these are the ones I've been working on for the last six months. I'm sure I'm happy to give you links to these research papers that are already published. Thank you. That'd be great. We could put them at the bottom of the podcast so that our listeners can access them and have a read of them. It is so exciting. How do you have time to teach and what units are you excited about that you're teaching? I teach civil dispute resolution. I used to teach civil procedure, but now the unit is called civil dispute resolution. 
So this sort of goes well with my previous experience as a barrister, as I have worked at Arian. So I have got a lot of experience in court litigation work. And so this is also an area that I am passionate about. It's a very practical teaching. So with all this research that you're doing and contacting people all around the world, have you found any challenges to your research being situated in a regional university in Australia? And if you have, how did you overcome them? Working in a regional area has got its limitations. My choices are limited and my career options can sometimes be limited. But it has helped me in other aspects because being a single mom and managing the time to do a lot of things, you know, if you live in a smaller area, that helps to manage your research in some ways. But, you know, being a single mom and managing time has also been a primary challenge for me. And having children is a joy. And I once saw this quote on a social media and it said that it is not difficult to take care of a child, but it is difficult to do anything else when you're taking care of a child. And to me, this sounds really perfect. Well, so, it is difficult studying and being a single mother and having a career as, you know, I can yeah, attest to that yeah, as well. Yeah. But it is a challenge. Thank you so much for being with us today, Charles. No worries. Thank you so much for having me here. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you. Please fill out our survey in the link below.